Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week on the series, I'm so thrilled to introduce you to author Sarah Knight. She's a New York Times bestseller and she's the author of the No Fucks Given Guides. There's five books in the series so far and her latest book is called Fuck No. It is such an unbelievable read. I've had the chance to read it now since since I spoke with Sarah and it is an absolute must for the people pleasers out there. I know it's certainly something that I need in my life and I think that we can safely assume that people pleasing and the desire we have to try and suit ourselves without worrying about what people will think about us and how to say no, all of these things are big drivers of anxiety for people in their day-to-day lives. So Sarah has just such a brilliant way of explaining how to approach this. Everything she says is incredibly snackable, as it has been through all of the books that she's written. And I'm particularly indebted to Sarah because a couple of years ago, or the year before last, she kindly offered to write a blurb for my book for owning it when it came out in America. And it was called Own It Over There. And she wrote a glowing review of it, which graces the front cover of all the American editions of the book. And to have someone of her caliber and her expertise, I mean, she edited fucking Gone Girl. So to have someone like her and all the work that she's gone on to achieve herself um, validate my work was just incredibly inspiring. And it really made me feel like, you know, maybe my books were okay. And of course, her book, Fuck No, is out on December 12th in Ireland and the UK, and you'll get it everywhere on- online. Um, and if you haven't read any of her former books, I recommend going back to the first one, which is The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, and I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. It was, it was so refreshing. It was 2015 when it came out, and it was like the first book of its kind, and has been a huge inspiration for me in the books that I've written. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing and for reviewing. It means the world to me. And for those of you who've signed up to my Patreon page, thank you so much for the support. And if you want to donate to the podcast, or if it's basically just like a tip jar for owning it, the Anxiety Podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Caroline Foran and you can become a Patreon there. Thank you so much and I will chat to you soon. I'm so happy to be joined on the line direct from the Dominican Republic. It's author, internationally renowned author and setter of boundaries, Sarah Knight. Sarah, welcome to Owning It. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, you are a very, very busy woman and you have just or you're just about to publish the next book in your series called Fuck No, How to Say No Without Being an Asshole. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So this book explores from what I've read about it, a lot of people-pleasing issues. And I know people-pleasing and saying the ability to say no or the, the fact that we say yes all the time is such a driver of anxiety. It certainly has been for me. It's something I'm trying to work on now. And you seem to have definitely cracked the code. But did you find growing up until, until you've written this book or until you wrote the first book in 2015, was people-pleasing such a cause of anxiety for you? It was a huge cause of my anxiety, and I would say well into my early 30s. Uh, and then, and also, there are a few other triggers that I think I've I've learned from writing my new book that other people suffer from. One being an overachiever. Yes. You know, you have this type A personality where you're always trying to outdo yourself, let alone trying to please other people. Um, so there were a lot of things that were that were making that. Uh, you know, that were swirling the anxiety around in my head for the better part of three decades. And you're right, when I wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck in 2015, that was the beginning of unlocking it for myself. And then most recently with Calm the Fuck Down, that was when I, I devoted a whole book to figuring out where my anxiety was coming from, how I could make it stop, and how I could explain to other people ways that they might be able to maybe not make it stop, but manage it. I think that and how, making it stop is a yeah. is a, a little bit of a well, um, exactly. I mean, it's it's probably too high role. name, but it's just I think understanding why it's happening, what's happening in our brain and body, mm-hmm. and and understanding that the simple things that we we take for granted that we don't realize the impact that pleasing other people all the time ahead of ourselves will really have on our anxiety. I want to ask you first how anxiety through your life has manifested for you. Well, I mean, I always thought I was sick. I just sort of thought I didn't feel well, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been with my my husband for 20 years. So he's been around for half of my life's worth of anxiety. And definitely he sort of thought, oh, she doesn't want to go out tonight because she's not feeling well. And it was always, you know, my stomach hurts or I'm mm-hmm. kind of short of breath or I have a headache. And I definitely thought I was just kind of sickly. And, um, and then it manifested itself in having a big old panic attack, which um, I actually had my my first known full-blown panic attack when I was uh, at my office in Midtown Manhattan when I, I used to be a book editor in New York City for 15 years. And that was quite an experience, uh, not one that I wish to repeat, but that did repeat itself a couple of times before I figured out how to how to get help for that. But for, you know, I think what I really like to tell people over and over again, is that you might not realize that the things you're experiencing are anxiety, the shortness of breath, the headaches, the, the nausea, the sleeplessness. Um, and I had all of that, you know, and then some. And was it not until you had that first panic attack that you thought of it as something uh, that was more of a, an emotional or a mental issue than a, like a, a stomach or a digestive issue? Correct. Uh, that was really the the moment where I said, "Oh God, I I guess I have to talk to somebody about this instead of just sort of self medicating with, you know, various treatments yeah. that that were not really getting to the root of the problem." And what for you was the trigger? What why was anxiety such a feature of your life? I was under a lot of pressure with my job, and I that might sound strange to people who are you know emergency room physicians or astrophysicists. Uh, I was just a book editor, but again, I had that. Yeah, I had that very controlled, very type A, very overachieving personality. I'd been going at it for, as I said, 
30 years, um, just being a very high achieving, ambitious individual. And I was juggling a lot. And I had, I had gotten married and I had planned a wedding and I had moved and bought an apartment and gotten a new job. And I had a difficult boss and I was really trying to prove myself. And it was right around the time I just realized this the other day, actually, it was 10 years ago that I acquired a book uh, by Gillian Flynn called Gone Girl. That oh my was God. what I, that was what I had just accomplished at my, at my job, at my book editor job. And that was right around the time I had my first panic attack. And it took until that, that really terrible situation that happened to me in my office building that morning to, to make the connection between the way that I had been feeling and what anxiety and panic are and how they manifest. And that must have been so scary because, you know, at that moment you get this glaringly obvious smack in the face of how your lifestyle is impacting you there and then did you did you know that you had to change something in order to get on top of it uh, I would say it took a little bit longer than right there and then because first I had to get a handle on what this meant now that I knew I had a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder and panic and I used some medication and I used some biofeedback and I and I used journaling and a bunch of other things that a, that an anxiety doctor introduced me to and along the way probably within a year from from that point or maybe 18 months was when I realized I'm better, but I'm not great. And now I am, I am at least at a baseline enough to, to really dig in and see what the problem is. And it's not my personal life and it's not my finances and it's not my family. It's my job. And so that was around the time that I started to think, you know what, I really, I'm not going to be able to do this this career for the rest of my life like I thought I was. I'm not cut out for this kind of pressure and stress in corporate life. And that must have been so hard being such a high achiever and a perfectionist to accept, I guess, your own personal limitations in that the career that you had strived for and were doing so well in wasn't suiting you at a very internal level of just your, for your well-being and then you yeah make, it felt like failure yeah that must that's and that's another driver of anxiety so you just exactly. have this whole concoction this horrible cocktail of anxiety going on there and that but then what I'm so impressed by is that you made the decision to just completely opt out and lean into the kind of things that would actually bring you back to yourself and make you feel well and ultimately lead you to be this anti-guru that you've become today <laughs> where you, you let people off the hook basically for, for feeling the way they feel and, and wanting to do the things they want to do. How was that transition for you from hectic New York even for myself having been there I felt very anxious for the two weeks while I was there because it's just go 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 there's so much um, stimulation yeah. from lights and people and and then to go to a tropical island was that was it just amazing or did that bring its own set of anxieties that shift for you it definitely did well it it is both amazing and brought its own set of challenges uh, and what I what I try to you know be very honest with people and transparent is that I made that decision out of desperation I got had gotten to a point in my life where I was depressed I was panicked I was anxious something had to give it was terrifying to give up on my career it was also as I said it felt like a personal failure but I pushed through it because I just thought this is my last chance at feeling like a normal person. Um, and I don't mean to throw around the word normal as though it's abnormal to be anxious, but just feeling like I, like, not anxious. Like, yeah, this is my feeling, chance. Yeah, normal for, for so, you. So I did it. And I and I went through that whole process. My husband, of course, has been with me this, this whole time. So I had his support and help in that making that transition to go freelance and then writing my books. But the move itself... Um, 
you know, it's an extremely different, it's polar opposite, the lifestyle. And that can also give me anxiety because I can't be sure that something is going to happen when I was expecting it to happen because maybe there will be a rainstorm or maybe there will be cows in the road and I can't get to the place where I was supposed to be 10 mm. minutes ago. You know, maybe the, the person who's supposed to show up to do something just won't and maybe the internet will go out and all of this kind of stuff. So there's there are challenges to live in the third world, which we are in a third world country. And we've now been here for, um, I, th- I guess we've been living here full time for about three, three years and um, visiting heavily for five. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting to the point where I can manage it all. But it's also kind of nice to be able to give oneself over to just you know, whatever happens, happens today. And that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And if anyone is going to be able to do that, it's you from from the, books, <laughs> from the work that you've done that I've read. Take me back to the first book. Were you just like, fuck this, I'm sick of everyone having to live this way and feeling this way myself that I'm going to put this out there. And it was kind of one of the first books of its kind to speak in a very frank and vulnerable way. Yeah, well, you know, I do. I think I was feeling frank and vulnerable at the time. And I was also feeling very liberated um, from leaving my job. I had the idea uh, to write an affectionate parody of Marie Kondo's bestselling Japanese tidying guide, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, Mm -hmm. because I read it right after I left my job in the summer of 2015. And I thought, you know, everything she's doing for your drawers and your garage and your bookshelves, I've been doing for my mind. Um, I've just been getting rid of things that do not bring me joy. Uh, And I have been living better as a result. And so I had this idea and, you know, I had a little more creative energy because I was not getting up and going to work every morning, although I was freelance editing other people's books at the time. Um, And I wrote it and people got excited about it. And then, you know, it, it came out right away and then it became a thing. You know, Mm. it became its own brand of self-help, not just a parody of uh, a Japanese tidying guide. And it was really empowering, uh, both to me for getting those thoughts out on paper and really like um, putting a strategy to what I had been doing sort of uh, pell-mell just to to try to stay afloat for so long. Mm. And also for other people. You know, I just kept hearing from people that, wow, you've given me permission to feel this way, say the things I've been thinking, do the things that I've been wanting to do and been too afraid to. Can you explain uh, for anyone who, I I doubt there's anyone who isn't familiar with your (laughs) series, but if anyone is unfamiliar, the concept of the finite amount of fucks that we all have. Ah, yes, the fuck budget and how a listener can determine how to spend their precious fucks. So uh, what I what I do is I refer to your time, energy and money as your fuck bucks. Okay. And managing them wisely is making a fuck budget. And you do that with your time and energy the same way you would do it with the dollars in your bank account or the euro or the pounds in your bank account. And what I want people to understand is that in the same way that you need to either have a finite amount of of time, we all have a finite amount of time here, um, or you need to replenish your energy levels or your or your money in your bank account. Um, so you need to be able to not waste. There's wasteful spending of your time, energy, and money that depletes your resources to the point where you're no good to yourself and you're no good to anyone else. And so I encourage people to make a fuck budget to think about what they really, truly want to spend their time, energy, and money on and to say no to things that they don't. Um, and this is a concept that comes back in in the new book, Fuck yeah. No, which is really a a great bookend. Maybe I should never write another one because they're, they're perfect bookends to the series. Uh, don't tell my editor I said that. Right. Um, but, you know, it's really about 
putting a value on your time, energy and money and then spending it wisely. Because when we don't do that, we are sure as hell going to experience anxiety and burnout and overwhelm. And I think, I don't know, I mean, obviously you've got such a global audience, but particularly in Ireland, um, for Irish listeners, we have such a tendency to put talk ourselves down and not value ourselves and to think mm-hmm. that we have to please everyone and because that's just the polite thing to do and not to complain and, and not to be a nuisance ever but it's actually we don't realize how much it's driving anxiety in the first place it really is and you know i think i come from uh this very stoic new mm. england new england stock um in you know in the us it's where i grew up it's how most of my family are. And so I think I also was very practiced at kind of sublimating my own feelings and my own needs and my own worries and everything in order to appear, uh, in order to not bother anybody and in order to appear Mm -hmm. very stable. And I, and I sense that from a lot of my readers, um, in Ireland and in the UK as well. And I think that might be why the book's have hit such a nerve there in particular, because people are just receiving this this permission, you know, mm. to to finally express something that they have been tamping down for so long. And how did life change for you when you started to really value your fuck budget and allow yourself the chance to say no? It changed in some very big ways in that I stopped doing things that I didn't want to do and spending time with people I didn't want to spend time with and therefore wasting my time, energy and money on things that I that I had no interest in. But it also didn't blow up my world. I think a lot of people worry, well, if I start not giving a fuck, if I say no to this thing or that person, am I going to ruin my life? Am I going to become ostracized? Are people going to think I'm an asshole? And it's really not. If you're honest and polite about your wants, needs, and desires and the things you will and won't do, and you respond in a timely fashion and you're nice about it, it really, I have not experienced blowback. I have not experienced people getting angry with me. I have. So that's another thing that I really want uh, to make sure that people know is that mm. this idea of no fucks given is not about turning into a terrible person that people don't like. Yeah. It's really about just doing things, you know, for yourself that feel good and that feel right and that benefit you. And then because you feel so good, you are a better spouse and partner and parent and employee and boss and friend to other people mm. because you have not, um, you know, whittled yourself down to the bone with with all of your, you know, overcommitments and your anxiety about those overcommitments. Yeah. Um, we're so focused on the short-term benefits of people-pleasing, such as this person will think I'm nice or I'll, I'll make their life easier and we don't really have regard for the long-term negative impacts on ourselves and how it will make us feel and being worn down. And also, I think, like you say there, from your experience, it, it has gone easier than people might think, but people are stuck in this inertia of like wanting to suit themselves or you do you, but, but being afraid that if they do that, they're going to have to experience more anxiety in the short term to get over that hump. It's, it's, it's quite a scary, if completely obviously liberating place to get to. But this the new book, Fuck No, teaches you how to suit yourself and at the same time taking away the worry that you're going to come across like a selfish, mean person or an asshole. Yeah, and when the, the biggest key that I have found is that other people don't care so much about how you live your life as mm-hmm. you think they do. And that the vast majority of the... of 
of what is preventing you from saying no when you want to is yourself. You're thinking, you're worried about what other people might think and and they actually haven't said anything and you're doing it to yourself in your own head. And if you can learn and practice ignoring those voices in your own head that have maybe been built up by 15 or 25 or 45 years of people pleasing, and just remember that you're not the center of most people's worlds and that if you decide not to go to a, a luncheon or if you decline to join, you know, a, a best friend's weekend or something, as long as you do it in an honest and polite way, they're probably just going to accept it and move on. And I also have advice in the book on dealing with the people who won't accept it and move okay, on. Okay, yeah, because that, that's, you know, that's a scary smaller subset. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Tell me some of the ways that we can say no without feeling really terrified. So I have four sort of prototypes of saying no. And and one of my favorites is the no and switch. I think it's a very useful beginner's no for people, which is saying no to the thing that you've been asked to do, but offering an alternative that works better for you. Okay. So say you have uh, a friend who invites you to a dinner party and maybe you have social anxiety. Maybe you don't like half the people that are going to be at this dinner party. Maybe it's too late on a mid midday uh, midweek night and you have to get to work early in the morning and you just don't want to do it. But you love your friend and you want to spend time with them and you don't want them to feel rejected. You could say, no, I'm afraid I can't come to your party. However, I really would love to see you one-on-one do you have time this weekend for lunch? Um, so that no and switch is a way of saying no to the thing that would deplete your resources, your time, energy, and money, saying no to a thing you can't, shouldn't, or don't want to do, but offering a compromise that you can and should and want to do. Um, and I think that that's a really 
good first step and way in for people who definitely historically have a problem saying no because of their people pleasing tendencies. You can please people, but just on your own terms. Okay, so that's the key because we still want to please people because I guess it's in our it's in our nature. Like, why do you think we're all so caught up in being people pleasers? I think that for women, especially girls are socialized to um, keep the peace, to serve others, uh, you know, to make sure that nobody feels bad and to to heal people who do feel bad. And so particularly for women, people pleasing is is just ingrained. And whereas young boys are socialized to win. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, in all of my books, I have talked about winning as a concept, meaning like winning your own life, living the life you want being happy, not being an exhausted, depleted mess at the end of the day. And you can do that while also being a good person and being nice. Um, You just don't have to go quite so overboard. Can I ask you to explain the not sorry method? Sure. So in my first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, I, uh, I quantified this idea of mental decluttering in two steps. And step one, discard. Step two, organize. It's the same as physical decluttering, the same thing Marie Kondo has you do with all of your you know, socks that you mm-hmm. don't need anymore. Um, and what you have to do is decide what you want to discard from your life, tasks, obligations, people, uh, events, and then organize your time, energy, and money around whatever's left and spend it on those things. And if you do that, with honesty and politeness, which are the two tenets of all of my work, Mm -hmm. um, then you have nothing to apologize for. You've done nothing wrong. You don't have to feel guilty and you are not sorry. So that is where the not sorry method came from. Uh, And I have to say it's working really well for me. I mean, the idea of just being being honest, Mm. but not so honest that you hurt somebody's feelings. It's a sliding scale. And I explain this in the books where, you know, there's this sort of asshole quadrant of the matrix where if you are completely honest and you say, I don't want to come to your dinner party because I hate your boyfriend and I don't want to spend three hours sitting across the table from him. That is very honest, but it is itself impolite. So, um, you know, you do want to kind of yeah, you want to kind of arrange that Mm -hmm. depending on the situation. (laughs) And if you do come up against someone who for whatever reason is not positively receiving your saying no and then you're dealing with oh god they think badly of me now what is your approach there so the first question is do you just think they think badly of you or have they said something because a lot of times again it's in your own head but if you have somebody who is actually reacting badly to your no um my first line of defense is to ignore it and just sort of brush it off like like you haven't really taken it in. You know, if they say, wow, I can't believe that you're not coming to the to the christening, you can be like, I'm really not, you know, <laughs> and believe it. Uh, and, and, you know, use sort of humor and a light touch to just deflect. A lot of people take that hint mm-hmm. and they go, oh, I'm being a little bit, not just passive aggressive, but being a little bit aggressive aggressive and I should back off. For people that don't take that hint, Um, One of my favorite things to say is, I think the fact that you can't take my no for an answer says more about you than it does about me. And that is something that I I haven't had to pull out on too many occasions, because Mm -hmm. like I said, most people don't actually want to be assholes to you. They don't really want to give you a hard time. They're having trouble. They're listening to the voices in their own heads that have been telling them for 30 years that they're not allowed to say no to the christening or the party or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, 
So they're reflecting that back at you. And if you can ignore the voices in your own head, then you can ignore the voices in their head too. And maybe they'll spit something out that's a little bit rude and you'll just laugh it off. And if they persist, you can say, you know, I'd like you to think about the fact that you not being able to accept no for an answer might say more about you than it does about me. Mm. And sometimes people in life just won't like us and we have to get used to that as well. And maybe not pleasing them is not because we've done something wrong but like you say it's their issue or I mean I really struggle one of the big drivers of my anxiety and I'm always thinking if someone's in a bad mood in the room it's because I've put them in a bad mood and it's again I'm I'm obviously overestimating my importance in that person's mind even though you know why do we do that why do we think that we're so important that we're actually having such an effect on someone else well I think you know humans evolved to be tribal and so you've you've needed that community and you've depended on others you know since the beginning of time to be there to protect and defend and do in, and share in the labor and all of that. And now we live much more individual lives. We're capable of living outside the tribe, but we still have this, and this is purely my, my conjecture. I am not mm. a, a, you know, a human behavioral biologist by any means, but like, I think we still have this, this tug that says we need to be loved and accepted at, by the tribe because otherwise we're going to be in danger. Mm. And I happen to have never really had that hard of a time worrying about people not liking me. Um, The people pleasing comes more from, I want to do that for somebody. I want to help them. I want them to think of me as a person who gets things done and is a helper. Um, But in terms of people not liking me, I kind of, I think I probably got over that Mm. Probably by the time I was 18, I, I, okay, <laughs> I just I have said, some work right, to do. I'm, I'm like <laughs> yeah. nearly 32. I've got some work to do. I think with your books and the society that we're living in now, we're definitely being more encouraged to suit ourselves and live our lives on our own terms. But not only do we have to work on that with ourselves, I think as a society, we need to also look at people who are suiting themselves in a positive way because I think I don't know if it's the case in America but in Ireland you could very easily suit yourself and someone would say about you negatively oh she she really suits herself as in she's selfish so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of we, we kind of have to approach it from two ways in like how society views people who put themselves first not as being selfish but actually minding themselves because what's the point of us working so hard to, to like you know budget our fucks if we don't also respect that when other people do it Yeah. I mean, I wrote a whole chapter in my third book, which was called You Do You, about being selfish and how, uh, you know, being completely selfless is just as damaging to you as being really selfish is to, you know, for other people. And that you have to be able to find this happy medium of focusing on your own well-being without being a jerk. You know, you don't have to tear other people down to build yourself up. And I think what I have noticed in the last five years of having written these books and been hearing from people all over the world every day about what changes they've been able to make in their own lives as a result of reading each of the No Fucks Given guides is that when they start to do well for themselves and protect their own well-being and therefore become more relaxed, happier, productive, successful people, others in their orbit take notice and and feel, I mean, this, this happened with my own friends. I've had people just sort of be like, wow, I want to do what she's doing. You know, that when Harry met Sally, I want to have what she's having. Mm. Um, and so it actually seems to be a cycle of sort of like a the opposite of a vicious cycle where 
the happier and more secure and more productive and, and excitable and relaxed and ambitious that I can still be by taking care of myself. Other people look at that and go, Ooh, that's nice. Like Mm -hmm. I don't get a lot of people who are looking at me and saying, wow, you're so selfish. You know, (laughs) I think it's just something that you're worried about in your own head. And then when you go out and, and live this life, it turns out that people actually are really admiring and respectful and kind of want to do what you're doing. So has the reaction to all of the different advice that you share that you've obviously put into your own life has has how it's been received measured up with what you expected? Uh, I I had no expectations to be to be honest. I certainly had no expectations for this series of books. You know, I wrote the mm-hmm. first one and I had a laser focus on that and it all happened really quickly and I I never thought about how it might be received worldwide. And I certainly did not expect to be where we are today. Uh, And then in terms of doing this in my own life, as I said, it was built out of desperation. You know, I had to make changes. Mm. I had to, I really didn't feel like I had a choice. I was walking off the cliff one way or another. And the question was whether I was going to take the step willingly or whether I was going to pass out from a panic attack and accidentally roll over the edge of the cliff. (laughs) Um, And so with each step, I have not only been able to wrangle some of my ideas in my own head through writing the books, particularly about managing anxiety, but also have received so much great feedback from readers that it's this sort of continuous loop of me going, oh, this is fine. I can do this. Other Mm -hmm. people can do this. We can all do it. Um, And it's just kind of happened. It wasn't something that I had a plan for or had expectations for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know if that's the greatest answer to an interview question, but I really didn't, I didn't have a plan. How is your anxiety today? It's quite manageable. You know, I definitely go through difficult periods, particularly when I'm under deadline. Mm -hmm. Again, I think my anxiety really manifests itself in my working life. And I have a very different kind of working life now because I do it on my own terms and my own hours, but that doesn't mean that there are any more hours in a day. Mm -hmm. So just because I allow myself to to sleep in and start working at 11 instead of 8 a.m., you know, because my brain works better between 11 and 8 p.m. than it ever did in my normal nine to five job doesn't mean that I don't still have to use those hours really smartly to get done whatever it is I have to do. And Mm -hmm. so when I'm on uh, in the throes of the final book deadlines, my anxiety definitely spikes. However, now I know those warning signs. Now I know when I'm sort of like, I don't really feel good. I'm like, oh, I'm not coming down with the flu. This is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I go upstairs and I lay down and I close my eyes and I spend 10 minutes breathing and I back away from the things that are giving me anxiety. And sometimes that's personal life stuff as well. You know, sometimes it's just I'm overscheduled and I have to remember that, Sarah, you are not good at having five things to do every single day, five days in a row. And I just have to cancel on someone. And I do it, as I said, honestly and politely. (laughs) And then I just, you know, calm down. So I think knowing those warning signs was really what became the turning point for me and not getting to the panic point because I knew it was coming and I could kind of uh, you know, dial it down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're not going to stop the panic from from coming, but you can recognize it and you can choose to get off the tracks. I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. it, obviously, you know, you're still out there achieving things and working hard. You're not living like a, a Himalayan monk, so there's going to be stress, right. and that's okay. <laughs> and it's how you react to it and how you perceive it. And I I think would I be right in saying that like living life on your own terms has been one of the most crucial ingredients or one of the most crucial tools for you to to manage your anxiety to keep it in check. 
Yes, absolutely. That is that is 100% true. It's a thousand percent true. And what would you say to people who feel like they can't live their life on their own terms because maybe they've got, you know, kids running around, they've got to go to work, they've got to pay the mortgage and they just feel like they're coming at the, the last in their list. Is There's always ways, there's always room to, to put yourself first. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually talk about this at length in my second book, uh, Get Your Shit Together, which mm-hmm. is, you know, based on this idea that everything and anything can be done in small, manageable chunks. And if you have something that is overwhelming to you, whether it's a project, uh, a creative endeavor, or literally just getting through the day as a mother of three small children with a day job and, you know, who feels the need, you know, who feels the need to do for herself, um, small, manageable chunks, scheduling it in, planning it, it can be 15 minutes. It can be half an hour. And the idea of pulling up, you know, your entire life and moving to a foreign country like I did sounds really big and crazy. But if if one weekend you devote yourself to um, figuring out which app for learning Spanish is going to be the right one for you, mm-hmm. that is a thing that you have accomplished. You can cross it off your to-do list. You spent that half hour or hour, you know, noodling around on the internet doing something for yourself. Mm. And the same can be said for somebody who really needs to get out of their job. You know, working on your resume for an hour on the weekend or on a Tuesday night is a thing that you just did to get yourself closer to that goal. So Mm. um, you can do that for your own well-being. You can do it to change your job. You can do it to change your life in small, manageable chunks. And every time you accomplish one of those you'll feel better. And you'll be like, oh, that was really great. I should do that again. And it's this Again, this sort of virtuous cycle of, um, you know, you you feeling a little bit accomplished makes you want to accomplish more. And if that yeah. accomplishing is on behalf of your own physical and emotional and mental well-being, so much better. Yeah, it's like a domino, a cumulative, cumulative domino mm-hmm. effect in, in a positive way. Uh, for people who have followed all of your work thus far, how would you differentiate the latest book, Fuck No? Or what, what can people expect that maybe they didn't get in other books? So Fuck No, I think, is the most plainly prescriptive of all of the books. Um, there's definitely a lot of my, you know, trademark theory about, you know, the, the different kinds of yes men and the four different major prototypes of how to say no. And I talk about guilt and I talk about obligation and take people through the usual exercises and flowcharts and things. But the vast, the bulk of this book um, is really examples, uh, I call it a cornucopia of comebacks, um, of how to say no in specific situations. Um, And it's, you know, it covers everything from invitations to favors to work and other business transactions, um, asking permission, giving consent, family, partners, children. Um, So it really is the most, uh, as I said, the most sort of plainly prescriptive, literally not just how to get to know in your own head, Um, and how to work out your own feelings of guilt and obligation, but how to say it out loud to other people's faces. (laughs) Okay, so the first books, or especially the the very first book, helps you come to terms with that in in your own head and yourself. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, how do we apply it to the real world? And how do we actually execute that? What's your favorite way of saying no? Well, I actually, because I've been doing this for a long time, I really like the power no, which is just just nothing. No reply. (laughs) Um, And and this is something that... This is it's ghosting for all the right reasons. Um, And it's just something that, you know, if somebody asks you for the third time, something that you've already said no to twice, or if somebody is rude to you, you know, a lot of times I get messages in my Instagram uh, DMs, and I don't see them because of the 
the way Instagram works. Like I just don't see them because they're not from people I know. So every once in a while, once a month or something, I go in and I look through. And sometimes I'll have a message from somebody saying something really nice about my books. And then a day later saying, oh, I guess you don't respond to your supporters. And I'm like, well, now I don't. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> so, so the power no for me, instead of being like, oh, God, that person doesn't like me. They're going to say mean things about me. What if they tell their friends that Sarah Knight, anti-guru, is is a bitch who doesn't respond to her Instagram DMs, you know, that people-pleasing streak that you were talking about. I just think, oh, I do not have the, I do not have the fuck budget to <laughs> get involved in this. Like this, they're, they can just go off being them and I'll continue being me and I don't need to respond. So, um, so I do like that. But I also, you know, for me, I like the hard no. And that is a very simple, unadorned, no, thank you. I can't make it. I can't afford that right now. I don't mm -hmm. have time. You know, you can say, I'm sorry, uh, whether you are or aren't really sorry, you can still say it because it's polite. Um, and I talk about the difference between the not sorry method of the first book and the offering an apology in your no in this book, because it does smooth things over. Um, it doesn't mean you have to feel guilty, but I really am a big fan. And I, I talked about this in the, the TEDx talk that I gave a couple of years ago, just saying, no, I don't have time. I can't afford it. No, thank you. Or even I don't want to. Um, to me, that's a hard no. It's simple. Mm. It's to the point. And if you say it with a smile on your face and you say it in a timely fashion, people really should not have that hard a time with it. And in my experience, they don't. I think my goal is to get to the point where I can say, you know, what, I just don't want to <laughs> without yeah. then having a complete another panic attack about what kind of person I must come across like for saying it. But that's obviously I've got I've got a lot of work to do. Um, Sarah, can I ask you before I let you go of all that you've achieved? What's most impressive? Obviously, the books are crazy successful and it's, it's an amazing achievement. But the way that you turn things around from that point where you felt like you're falling off a cliff and just took ownership of what you were going through and have now just you for me you, to you own it in, in every way what are you most proud of I am I'm actually most proud of having been able to show other people how to do it mm -hmm. I mean I think I would have figured this out you know for myself eventually uh at some point I would have felt okay I'm old enough and stable enough that now I can take a risk uh you know or now I've got a little bit of money saved and maybe I can do something different with my life you know I think I eventually would have gotten there if I hadn't been been pushed by my own mental illness um mm -hmm. but what I'm most proud of is that I've been able to explain it in terms that seem to be working for millions of people around the world. Because when I get those messages from people that say that the books really changed their lives, um, that is, to me, that's the achievement. Yeah, it's incredible. Congratulations. I cannot wait to read the new book. Um, it's out <laughs> in for Ireland and UK. When can we expect it to be on shelves? <laughs> It is coming out December 12th. You guys are getting it before Christmas. Don't oh. tell the Americans because they're not getting it until after Christmas. Well, it will be the, <laughs> the perfect Christmas stocking filler. Um, I certainly will be buying a few copies for people in my life because I am surrounded by people pleasers and I'll probably have to buy about five just for myself to let the message really sink in. Um, <laughs> just keep one in every room. <laughs> but Sarah Knight, thank you so much for, for sharing your story of anxiety with me and obviously sharing your incredible arsenal of tools to help stay on top of things, which is chronicled across all of your books and in the journals as well. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. And I cannot wait to see how this book goes down for you. Yes, well, I appreciate you taking the time to help me spread the word. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.